A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent and for some reason a desire to keep working in restaurants and he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this and you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Sounds good. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall, and today I am joined by Jennifer. Oh, I'm going to need you to pronounce your last name for me. Sorry. That's okay. Billock. Billock. Okay. I never know where the accent goes, where the, where the emphasis goes. Um, right. Who taught a class that I took a number of weeks ago about uh, tyromancy, which is cheese magic. And for anybody who hasn't heard of it, you're in the right place because I'm planning on making Jennifer do all the work here uh, in talking about all of that. So, um, yeah, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I guess my first big question is how? How does someone get into food magic in general, but but cheese fortune telling in particular? uh food magic in general i guess is just something you decide you want to do <laughs> i mean i've i've been a kitchen witch or witch in general since childhood um and i love food a lot so <laughs> so it's kind of a natural progression for me <clears throat> um and then cheese magic is actually really historical so uh, I had seen a few instances of it here and there, but then um, I got into it because I was starting a newsletter called Kitchen Witch, and it's about the intersection of food and witchcraft. Um, and I was looking for ways to promote it. So I was Googling things like, oh, you might, or <clears throat> trying to come up with things like, oh, you might read about this, you might read about that. Like my my most recent issue is about Icelandic farting rooms, which hmm. is hysterical. Um, <laughs> Um, but I, I Googled weird ways to tell fortunes with food and found a massive list and Tyromancy was on it and I love cheese and divination. So for me, it was just a, a natural thing, I guess. Right on. Well, uh, so before, before I took the class, when I signed up with my sous chef to take, take your class over at beautiful rind, which is over in Logan, I believe, mm -hmm. um, I, I did, I, I I cannot call it research, but I did some aggressive Googling and I was shocked to find out how far back Tyromancy goes because, I mean, I, I don't I don't move in those circles. So I don't know if there's new types of divination, new types of, of, of magic being developed now, but I was I was shocked to discover and then through your presentation, how far back that goes. Yeah, most people are. I mean, it's it's basically ancient, right? So it started in ancient Greece and Rome with people offering cheese to deities. Um, and then tyromancy itself was first um, first mentioned, the first official, officially mentioned. Oh my God, I'm sorry. The first <laughs> official mention of it was in the second century in a dream interpretation manual. So it it is not something I just made up, which if I had, I mean... Props to me, but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's really really historic, um, which I think is really cool, and a lot of people don't know that. So there's always like, a, oh wow, when I tell people that. <laughs> well, and so now I've had the benefit of taking your class, but for the benefit of the folks who are going to listen to this, can you share some of that that historical uh, application of tyromancy? 
I don't know if you have that stuff top of mind or not. Oh yeah, for sure. So it mostly was used in the Middle Ages to determine who committed a crime. So they would um, enchant a piece of cheese and then they would hand a piece of cheese out to um, everybody who they thought was guilty. And then the person who wouldn't eat the cheese was apparently the criminal because it meant mm. they were in league with the devil. <laughs> um, um, a lot of girls in countryside villages at that time used it to, term- to determine who they should be dating. Mm. And they could either take a piece of cheese and enchant it and write the names of the people that they wanted to date on it and then see which name molded over first um gross (laughs) 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 and the person who who came out moldy was supposedly the person they should be dating um and yeah and there was a lot of um <laughs> like you had to throw cheese into a cheese well in Scotland if you wanted to have a bountiful harvest, hmm. things like that. It was a lot of um, just like teenager ma- magic, right? <laughs> like who am I going to cheese? <laughs> <laughs> nice. It's uh, I honestly, if I was developing that back in those days, I suppose I would say that the more quickly molding one would not be the good match, but. obviously i'm not the one setting that up same well and also they they would also like excuse me if they didn't have time for the cheese to get moldy they would cut it into chunks and put different names on the chunks and then throw it into a cage with a hungry mouse or a hungry rat and then whichever one was eaten first was supposedly their particular mate so in Mm. their particular particular mate (laughs) animal terms particular (laughs) was their specific person but to me that's like you're either getting someone that's moldy or someone that's about to die. Yeah. So, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, lifespan in those days was far shorter than it is now. So, I guess you had to strike while the iron is hot. Um, wow. It's now, so this is, this is primarily, you said Greek and European. This is not something that, that spans the world. I mean, now that I'm thinking about it, a lot of Asian cultures don't really get into cheese anyway right, that's right. that's not part of their culinary history right so now the structure of the class was very interesting to me where we were given a list of eight cheeses to choose from and then we had a like a placemat where we were putting individual cheeses on you know a general question um something about the past something about the future and something about our current state and then you had given us this you know the history lesson and all of that and then you came around and did individual readings and i i've been wondering for myself is there a guide because you saw far more stuff in those cheeses than I did. And I was wondering if there is <laughs> like, is there a text? Is there a guide? Because you were pointing out numbers of holes, cracks, lines, you know, faces, things like this. I didn't, I guess I didn't know what to look for when I was first looking. And I would like to know more about that. There's not a guide. Um, <laughs> there is, there is a series of, interpretations that are typical to fortune telling like this for example like um reading tea leaves um doing egg cleanses things like that there's different things that people generally look for which is like a heart shape means love and happiness a line or an arrow means a journey um numbers mean there's this number of things like it could be 
the amount of days you're going to go until you meet someone or like the number seven is somehow important to something. Um, and it's the same with like letters and with cheese specifically for holes, if it's an odd number, it's typically bad. If it's an even number, it's typically good. If the holes are small, it's not as bad as if the holes are enormous. Um, <clears throat> although if you're going to win the lottery, the enormous hole would be a lot better. Sure. Um, <laughs> so there's not really a, <clears throat> there's not really a guide unfortunately you just kind of have to go on intuition and I have been reading tea leaves for a really long time mm. so for me it was kind of a using the same principles from tea leaves as I am for um, cheese but I did put together for I think it's astrology.com a guide to reading tea leaves that has a big list <clears throat> that has a big list of um different interpretations and shapes and things that you could see it's a lot like dream interpretation so if you pull something hmm. up in a dream interpretation book it's a good starting point okay so now when you because the i i don't know if you were involved in choosing what which cheeses were going to be available to us uh at that class what do you look for in a cheese when you know what you're going to be doing is fortune telling or or, or divination Sure. For that particular class, I was involved, which was really nice. <laughs> um, so generally, I look for cheeses with surface variation. So Swiss, where the holes, it's, it's got holes that are varying sizes and different <clears throat> groupings. Um, Lou, Gorgonzola, anything that has veins running through it. Um, Colby Jack works. I have read a piece of Jack cheese with whole basil leaves in it. Um, also a delicious cheese, by the yeah. way. <laughs> so that's the easiest is having cheese with surface variations or like a really interesting rind. But if it's more of a craft single type surface <laughs> where there's not really a whole sure. lot going on, um, if it's a harder cheese, you can break the cheese and look at the ridges um, and the cracks that have happened from when you break it. If it's like a craft single, which I have done this before because someone thought they were very clever, <laughs> uh, you, you rip up the piece and drop it onto a plate and read the shape that it makes. Mm. Um, <clears throat> you can use crumbled cheese in that way too if you pour it out onto a plate and see what, and then, and then don't touch it. Sure. <laughs> and, see what kind of shape it makes shapes it makes um so truly almost any cheese can be used i haven't run into a cheese that i have not been able to use for this before yeah i i remember the cheese but i don't remember the name of it it was very good uh when we ate it but there was one that was fairly consistent throughout and you did encourage us to to break it um just like in half with our hands and look at that broken surface that was very cool because i did I, I looked at that when it was delivered and i thought I, I don't see anything. <laughs> you know, it's just it's <laughs> just sliced, you know. Yeah, was um, that the the orange one? It was a mimolette. Yeah, had had a not a waxed rind. It looked like maybe it had been wrapped in burlap or something, and it had a. It was it was great. I, I was very. Yeah. It it didn't hurt that I'm just a huge fan of cheese regardless. So I knew at the very least my future was going to include very nice cheeses, and that ended up being the case. So that was great. Yeah. Yeah. Fun story about that class is someone in the front of the room ate all of their cheese before I got to them. And then when I got over there, they were like, okay, what do you see? <laughs> and I'm like, nothing. <laughs> 
Well, and my sous chef and I had that question too. We were like, well, are we supposed to eat these cheeses? And so we we decided we would each eat like a bit before you got over there and then we would finish up uh, afterward. It was, we, we also did not... Um, pony up for the wine pairing i felt like mm. parts of the room were having a better time than we were because of that but uh, Next who knows? Time bring last. <laughs> <laughs> right right uh so this that that class is that the first one that you did or is this a series of classes it's a series of classes um the first one that i did was at uve in andersonville um a while ago um but then most of them have been at beautiful rind um, from then on, but I, I have done one at Eli T bar in Andersonville. That was a tea pairing with cheese. Mm. Um, and we're going to look to do that one again soon. And then I've done a couple more at Uve and then the, but the beautiful rind class is the most extensive series. I've already got like six more classes scheduled with them. Nice. Nice. Yeah. I was talking to my wife about this and of course, my brain, having been in the restaurant industry since I was a kid, my brain is always trying to take something like this and figure out how to not monetize it necessarily, but make it into, you know, a, a business model. And uh, man, it would be very cool to have a party and have have a, a, a sort of a bespoke cheese selection party where everybody gets a shot at having their cheese future red. That would be that'd be really cool. I did exactly that at a bachelorette party. <laughs> <laughs> bachelorette party is perfect for that yeah. yeah so they they selected probably eight to ten cheeses and made a whole like cheese spread and everybody picked which cheeses they wanted and then i went around the table and read everybody's fortune so i can do also like groups like that or individual readings or just literally any size amount of people but um if we get over 20 people it starts to take a really long time <laughs> oh i believe it yeah. yeah, there were the class that I was in had to have had roughly that amount. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, we cap it at 20. Okay. Well, now we cap it at 18 because 20 even took a little bit longer than they'd like. Because the, So the longer that I do this, the more in depth the readings are getting. And then mm -hmm. I lose track of time. So I've spent <laughs> like 15 minutes talking to one person and I still have a room of 20 other people to get to. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I have to... I have to um, manage my own time as well. Sure. I mean, Beautiful Rind is a decent sized space, but that little event space they have, that we it was full. That room was very full with the, the 20 of us that were there. Yeah. And each session is selling out, like no matter where it is, it sells out immediately, that's, which is great. So. That's awesome. So now you said that you've done you're you're a, a kitchen witch, which I love that term so much. Um, what has that meant for you? throughout that process because this i mean all of this is so new to me and it's fascinating mm -hmm. i'm not sure what you mean by your question well like um is it is it primarily divination or is this you know well, let me put it this way we were in i don't even remember my my family and i on weekends will just drive out to some small town and look for antique stores or whatever and we found this place on one of those trips where it was essentially an apothecary and they had this whole wall of herbs with spell cards underneath that you could you know build your own essentially is it to that extent or or what what is what is that the the process of that i guess sure so uh the divination is just a fun aspect of it um so kitchen wise, I will do divination with cheese 
coffee grounds, tea leaves, probably pretty much anything. But overall, it's a lot of um, recipes, um, making <clears throat> spell jars and stuff with different ingredients in them. Um, like for example, here's one right here that's an abundance jar and it's got salt and sugar. It's got a couple coins. It has a whole star anise in it. Um, I've never known how to pronounce that anise or anise. <laughs> I've heard it both ways. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of soups because soups are really easy to make with intention when you like mm -hmm. decide ingredients you want to put on there and every ingredient and every herb will represent something different. So I have you can probably see it behind me. It's not going to help the podcast, but there's a lot of like, <laughs> ref books mm. back there, um, like magical reference, like the things that like cinnamon, for example, is spicy mm. <laughs> and it will keep things away or bring in like spicier parts to your life, stuff like that. So it's a lot of um, looking at different ingredients and herbs and thinking how you can combine them um, to create generally the effect that you want. Okay. I mean, primarily I ask because I don't, I'm completely ignorant of that subject, but also my daughter who's 11 has very much gotten into recently uh, green witchcraft. And she found a book at a uh, book fair or something. And now it's turned into this thing where we have all of these little pots of catnip and lavender and we're trying to grow a bay uh, laurel. You know, she, she wants, she's, she's looking at all of these herbs with, the like you said the intention the 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 power that they may have and she's trying to to build toward that freaks my wife out a little bit but primarily <laughs> it appears that green witchcraft is gardening which i'm down with right? we have a big basically, backyard yes basically so mine is basically cooking hers is basically gardening if you were looking to my left you would be able to see my failed attempts at green witchcraft <laughs> which is a lot of dead plants mm. <laughs> But yeah, it's, 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 it's not like something, generally it's not something you sit down and you're like, I'm going to do this specific thing this day. Like it can be that if you want to do like a spell or a ritual mm -hmm. or something like that, but generally it's like, I'm going to plant this plant. And I know that I want this kind of like emotional or intuitive thing to happen from it. So I'm going to sprinkle some oregano into mm -hmm. the dirt or something like that and like for me it's just like oh, okay i'm gonna make this soup what kind of intention do i want to set while i'm stirring the soup and then as you eat the soup it's kind of creating that intention so it's not it's not anything to be afraid of <laughs> and and a lot of it when i was talking to my daughter about it reminded me of the book uh like water for chocolate where throughout that book um, there's a young woman who whatever she cooks takes on the emotional state that she has at the time she's cooking. And mm -hmm. to a certain degree, from a chef perspective, that's kind of all we want to get out of our food is to have the person who's eating it have that experience that we had at the best time of cooking it, right? And so when she said, when my daughter said that to me, I immediately understood, but she doesn't have that particular reference. She hasn't read like Water for Chocolate, you know, it's right, right. a bit a bit beyond an 11-year-old, but yeah, I haven't read it either. But as a, I, I was a pastry chef for a little bit, and um, I, I definitely understand what you mean, having worked in restaurants almost, you know, forever. Yeah. Well, and and it, there's an adage that happy cooks make better food, and it's not wrong. And that there's a lot that goes into that. It's not just being happy makes you a better cook, but 
it does it does bear out you know and so i i do firmly believe that there is something to that intentionality and that energy and and sort of funneling that into what you're doing mm-hmm. there's also a very useful adage that says if there's time to lean there's time to clean <laughs> <laughs> right right that's one my children don't uh, ascribe to for sure well, my husband does not care to be <laughs> <laughs> so where would you send people if they want to find out more about this, if they want to get more, um, I mean, obviously your classes for sure, but if they want to to, to learn about this on their own? Uh, you can Google fortune telling with cheese or tyromancy, which is T-Y-R-O-M-A-N-C-Y. I will forewarn you and all of your listeners that basically everything you'll find is about me. So... <laughs> <laughs> But uh, there's a lot of articles. Um, Lot Club Chicago did a really extensive and great article on it um, that has like a list of, you know, things that might come up in the cheese, what kind of cheeses to use, the whole process of the reading. Um, It's not really like if you want to find it in a book or something like that, you're not going to be able to. Mm. You're going to have to go to like Google Scholar or like really old dream interpretation manuals and a art library archive thing like that. There's not really a lot published outside of like the 12th century. Sure. <laughs> so. Sure. That's a bummer to hear it. Like, as you can see behind me, I've got walls of books. So most of mine are yeah. about star Wars, but still it's uh, that's my, always my go-to if I want to deep dive into something like, where do I get a book about this? Yeah. Yeah. And that's partially why the research for this, to like come so when I learned about it I was like oh my god I really want to do this and then I googled and there was literally nothing so (laughs) so I wanted to figure it out and I wanted to do workshops I realized shortly after learning about it so it probably took me about two years to do all the research and teach myself how to do it and get to a point where I was comfortable doing workshops Mm -hmm. um and it was a lot of like archives and and asking around and things like that like there's a not many people know about it but my husband had heard of it because of the witcher video game series and then it's also in Baldur's gate the most recent one surprisingly which was cool (laughs) there's just like random pop culture references here and there but any historical information takes forever to find (laughs) so now oh now it's everywhere because i'm the, the cheese word <laughs> well and so speaking of of cheese in particular so you mentioned a beautiful rind you mentioned uh uve is that the other yes uh wh- where else and in eli chicago t-bar. what's that and eli t-bar okay um where would you recommend folks go to get cheese in chicago beyond those three is or do you have favorites um, I don't know if they're still open but pastoral had some really good cheese they were in Lincoln Park I yeah I don't know if they're still there it's been a really long time since I've been there um there's not unfortunately a lot of great cheese shops in Chicago um that I know of I only know of like those three sure 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 well <laughs> yeah, there, but Whole Foods has a good selection mm-hmm. and they have their little orphan cheese basket is really helpful for this too oh if nice. you want a cheap one yeah yeah I know Pastoral had two locations and one was in Andersonville because I used to live up there and yeah, we would go there quite a bit. And then there was definitely not here anymore. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I think, I I do think they closed both shops. And then there was a place over on Western and Foster. 
called The mm-hmm. Cheese Stands Alone. But again, that was seven or eight years ago, and I'm sure that place is gone now too. Yeah, probably. Yeah, because I was just Googling it, trying to, because I'm trying to find a place where I could meet someone on Monday um, where they can also purchase their cheese. And cheese shops in Chicago mostly brings up Whole Foods and Jewel. (laughs) Gotcha. Yeah, I avoid Jewel as much as I can for political reasons, but (laughs) the whole, Whole Foods I can trying to remember if there's any place that i go for good cheese we i will make i will make the trip up to mars cheese castle and that's yes it's it's a big deal for me and my kids now are getting to an age where they're like are we driving 45 minutes each way just to get cheese and i go yeah Yeah. we are absolutely funny story about mars cheese castle i lived in wisconsin for a little bit i owned a house with my ex-husband but we lived right by mars cheese castle and i have a friend in michigan who started a band called Mars something something and they made their photo of the album a picture of the Mars cheese castle sign Mm -hmm. and they posted just that picture online and I commented and I was like oh my god you're in town and his response was wait a minute this place is real Uh (laughs) I'm like yeah it's amazing (laughs) there's so I'm originally from northern Michigan and there's there's a pretty good selection of cheese up in traverse city you can mm-hmm. you can find good cheese up that way too yeah and, i love traverse city yeah being I'm a much smaller town chicago, so what's that <laughs> i'm originally from chicago ah. so it's nice to move back but we're in we're in uh we're in upper michigan well yeah. I, I come from a town that's south of tc called interlochen and uh there's there's no good cheese in interlochen but you know yeah. tc's not oh, that far it's not like it <clears throat> i have two books that i've written about the up so I'm oh. very familiar with Michigan on the whole. Gotcha. Gotcha. So now are, are you an author by trade? Is that your, your full-time gig? Uh, full-time I'm a travel journalist. Ah. <clears throat> yeah. But um, writing books is, I would say probably the second part of that. Um, I have my eighth book is actually coming out December 12th, which is really exciting. Right, congratulations. Um, Thank you. Yeah. So I would say I'm a journalist. I'm an author. I'm a writing coach. I'm a food writing teacher. Mm. Um, and I'm a cheese fortune teller. It's very nice to know food writing folks who have a background in food because nothing bothers me more professionally than food writers who come at it from a writing perspective as opposed to a food perspective. Yeah, yeah, I I absolutely agree. Um, my my biggest 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 pet peeve is when people get macaroon and macaron confused. <laughs> Every time right. someone does it, I just I want to strangle them. I'm just like, no. <laughs> One of my students did it the other day, and I was like, let I have to talk to you about this. <laughs> <laughs> It would almost be worth it to make a chocolate coconut macaron to just be like, look, there it is. You can have that. It's the two things together. There you go. Oh, you know. God. <laughs> Disgusting. <laughs> uh, do you know, by any chance, do you know uh, Dennis Lee, food writer? That sounds really familiar. He He's hilarious and his stuff is way off kilter. He's There's a chance he's like, what's that? Does he run a Substack about like... Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, yeah. No, I, I remember now. So one of the things that I like the most about that guy, because his stuff is a little bit even too far out for me, you know, like mm. he, I believe his Substack is called Food is Stupid, but it's this very ironic, very sort of iconoclastic take on, on food writing. But as he wanted to be a food writer, and as someone who was not 
associated with restaurants and stuff, the very first thing he did was get a restaurant job. And at mm-hmm. that point, I was like, okay, this is this is what I would prefer to see in food writing is someone being behind the scenes. Like if you're going to do inside baseball stuff, you should probably play baseball, you know? Yeah. And uh, I really appreciated that. But then it does seem like right now everybody thinks they're a food writer. <laughs> it just drives oh me God. nuts. <laughs> and a food photographer. <laughs> right. Right. And it's the same in travel writing. Everybody thinks they're a travel writer. Everybody thinks they're going to blog about their stuff and put together these 10 best lists. And it's just like, you don't know what you're doing. Well, and then that answers my other question, which is about your Instagram, which is why are you always in Sicily and Greece and Egypt? And the travel writer thing now makes perfect sense. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's I was funny. I was just talking to my husband about this, how how social media is so deceitful yeah (laughs) yes because like i have pictures on there from singapore and from like italy and from all these other places and they look great and they look like i'm having an awesome time i was horribly ill oh no in italy i had tonsillitis in singapore i was having gallbladder attacks but you would never know you never know because i'm lying to everyone Well, and that it, I was really going to, I was gearing up to say, so cheese magic's really lucrative, huh? Because you're on all of these trips. But yeah, now now I understand. Yeah. The... I wish it was, I wish it, <laughs> but I am actually getting flown out to New York to do some cheese workshops there. So that'll be really exciting. That's very cool. That's very yeah. cool. I um, I always like to hear when folks have, have like found a a very sort of a narrow audience thing that they do that is actually appreciated. And, and, you know, that's, that's very cool. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I hope more stuff comes out like that. Like I've just hired a publicist for specifically for the cheese readings. So mm-hmm. we'll see how that goes. I'm trying to get on the like corporate retreat circuit. <laughs> sure. Sure. Well, and again, that makes total sense because it is, it is not something you necessarily need to believe in to still have a really good time with it. Right. Um, and that was one of my goals when I signed up for the class and I talked to my sous chef about this too, which is like, we're not going to mock, we're not going to to uh, discredit, like regardless of whatever else happens, this is going to be delicious and fun, right? And then we may mm-hmm. learn something as well, which I definitely did. Like I, I had a great time at that class. Yeah, so glad. And I, I did not recognize you and I feel bad. That's ah, all right. I, there, there are things, I don't put a lot of pictures of myself up on social media, mainly because people in my industry are too generous, right? And I don't want to go to a place and have people give me free stuff because it just always feels weird. And oh, yeah. so yeah. I, I do try to sneak in <laughs> to places, which is, that's, that's a whole separate thing. I get uncomfortable when people are like, oh, here, take this thing for free too. Like yeah. you're a small that's business. A you time, can't. Yeah. As a long time food writer, it's the same. Like if I do reviews, I have to do them anonymously. Yeah. And my, when I worked for a paper my my headshot was like a silhouette and i was called the secret diner so yeah right. but my well, dad also... doesn't get it and he brags about me like we go <laughs> somewhere we go to a restaurant and there's a secret diner review up and he's like my daughter wrote that she's right here and i'm like stop <laughs> like, i appreciate nice. that you're proud but you're blowing my cover <laughs> right right that's hilarious i mean dads are that way i have that exact same dad you know yeah <laughs> So now I, that was all of my questions. Is there anything else that you want to make sure that folks listening to this know about you or the the kitchen magic in general? Mm, not really. Just don't be afraid of it. Like it's, 
it could even be a fun hobby for you. Like it doesn't have to be like, for me, it's more of a, like a lifestyle kind of situation, mm-hmm. but if you don't want to go that deep, you don't have to go that deep. And so I did, I got my first hate mail. I'm kind of going on a tangent here. <laughs> I got my first hate mail for telling fortunes with cheese and I'm very proud of it. <laughs> and I was, I was trying to interview a woman for an article I was writing about, um, the Villa Louis Carriage Classic, which is a horse and driver carriage competition mm. in Wisconsin, where literally all you do is like ride around in an antique carriage, but the horses have to look great and the carriage has to look great. And it's very like low energy, but fun. <laughs> um, but so I, I emailed this woman to ask her if I could interview her. And she replied with just this nasty email. And she was like, if we're going to talk fortune telling or witchcraft or cheese or anything like that I refuse to talk to you and I'm just like wow oh and then the last line was like but if we're going to talk about carriage driving sign me up (laughs) (laughs) and I replied and I was like you are very rude and I don't want to talk to you anymore yeah wow um yeah so it's not anything to be afraid of it's it's generally a really good time yeah and I mean for anybody who is nervous like I don't believe i had any spells cast on me or hexes or anything like that it was it was good to know the threats on the table though that's nice <laughs> uh so how, how do the how do the people find you um uh, as much or as little of your social media and such you want to uh let everybody know um okay well there's a huge list so <laughs> you can go to my Substack, which is kitchenwitch.substack.com and that has a tab at the top for tyromancy sessions and also a tab at the top for other witchcraft and divination services. Cause I also do custom spells and spiritual counseling. If someone wants to do a spell and they don't know what to do, I can talk them through it. Literally anything you can imagine I would mm-hmm. help you with. Um, so they can find information there or they can go to my socials, which I have two. So my journalism one is um on twitter x what are we calling it now that site i hardly ever use i was about (laughs) to say yeah i left that site gotta be a month and a half ago so i'm i'm out of touch with that one yeah so my i only use it because a lot of editors still post they're looking for writers there Ah. and as a freelancer like you know i gotta get on that (laughs) so (laughs) on that site for journalism is at jennifer billock for uh, Tyromancy, it's at Kitchen Witch JB. My initials, really mm. easy. Um, Instagram is for journalism is Jennifer Joan Billock. Um, for Tyromancy is also Kitchen Witch JB. Facebook, Jennifer Billock Creative Services and Kitchen Witch Newsletter, because I have not figured out how to change that yet. Um, <laughs> and my email. Well, listen, it's on the site. <laughs> <laughs> so there's a lot of ways to be in contact with me. Gotcha. Well, thank you so much for taking some time out to to chat today. This you you've unfortunately answered all of my questions. I was really hoping you were gonna say, Oh, here's this one huge book. You can just have this, but well, I can I might I, write one. <laughs> well, and and in that case, you've got at least one sold because I would totally buy that book. <laughs> Yay. I also want to write a cookbook about avocado toast. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I, 
I don't use a lot of cookbooks and when I do, they invariably let me down. So oh, yeah. um, absolutely. <laughs> I had, I had a recipe I made falafel uh, two days ago and the recipe was wrong. And it's just one of these things where it's like, I've been doing this for 31 years. I can follow a recipe. And when the recipe is wrong, I can definitely go, that recipe was wrong. And it yeah. makes me angry. Yeah, so. no, I, I'm the same way. And my first two books are cookbooks. So I, uh, I get it. <laughs> well, it, if you, if you run into a cookbook author who complains about how much recipe testing they had to do, but the book's probably good. If they yeah. don't, then uh, I don't know about that. Oh yeah. Yeah. I had a good time recipe testing for my books, but God, it was a pain in the ass. So Right. That's yeah. what you want to hear out of a cookbook author right there. <laughs> Well, thank you so much. Again, it uh, was delightful to have you on. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know if the recording is going to go to you or to me, but I'll send it to you. So. All right. Thank you so much. All right. Thanks. Have a good one. Yep. You too. Thanks. Bye. Bye. And that was my conversation with Jennifer Billock, who is a self-professed kitchen witch and a tyromancer. And I can attest to the last one, at least, because I did take that class from her. And it was delightful. So... Uh, all of the social media stuff that she just rattled off for us, I will put all that into the show notes if you're interested in finding more information about her, what she does here in Chicago, tyromancy in general, uh, kitchen witchery in general, which, like, like I said, my daughter and I are uh, embarking on some of that stuff as well right now. So that'll definitely come up later on in the show as we go uh, and as we progress and as we, you know, succeed and fail at it. So... Any questions you have about that, any tie that any of you have to kitchen magic of any sort, beyond just general cooking is kind of magical, right? Uh, please let us know. Best way to get a hold of us is in the weeds WBR at gmail.com. My Instagram is Chef Ben Randall. We have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and you can always find us at in the weeds WBR.com. That's pretty much it for us for today. Uh, very brief show, but I didn't want to take up too much of Jennifer's time. And uh, yeah, a little, uh, little like a, a moose-bouche kind of an episode. For In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall. I'll talk at you next week. <laughs>